Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. There we go. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. We're trying something new tonight. <clears throat> now, I I do... Oh, i got to turn that down. Hang on just a moment, or that's going to screw everything up. There we go. That's better. Uh, anyway, I'm trying something new tonight. I've decided to try Facebook Live. So if you're... You can listen online. That's We certainly encourage that. So we've got all kinds of ways to communicate. I'm going to keep my Facebook page open, so if you want to make comments during the show, by all means, go ahead and do that. Uh, you can call me if you want to talk. There's a good idea. We can imagine a talk show that takes calls. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766 also works. You can send me a note at Nick at Night at CFRA.com. No, that hasn't worked in a while. See at Nick at Night at LateNightCouncil.com. Uh, <clears throat> As well as the aforementioned, keeping an eye on the video chat. Um, I have no idea how well that's going to work. I don't know whether it'll last the whole show. Uh, I'm experimenting with it. So bear with us on that. Now, we have a whole host of things to talk about tonight. Some of them are, are just, it's, it's been a crazy week, whether politically, no matter how you want to slice it. But the first thing that I think we really ought to deal with is if I can find it right here. No, not that one. Where is it? Here it is. Um, we elected it. We we didn't do anything. The Con- Conservative Party of Canada elected a new leader, Mr. Andrew Scheer. Now, this is significant for a bunch of reasons. First of all, what was surprising to me not only was the fact that he won. Now, he was a you know he wasn't exactly an also ran back of the pack kind of person. But I don't know how many people would have predicted his win. Everybody, I think, was thinking Maxine Bernier. But part of what made his push to the top successful was the number three and four or four and five. I forget where Pierre came in. But I think he was just behind uh, with about 8%. Um, Brad Trost came in at number four. Now, if you followed that campaign at all, you know he was one of the very few hardcore social conservatives who took a bold stand on things like climate change. He, one of the things from one of the debates, now I admit those debates were not exactly rock'em sock'em robots, for those of you old enough to remember that. But at the same time, they were fascinating in the fact that, um, you know, that it was, 
it was like having a team that you like. Imagine if you're a Senators fan or a Leafs fan and each of them arguing about who should be captain. Okay? You like them all. Or for the most part, you like them all. So it's kind of like a, a, a contest among friends that somebody's got to win. And it gets it, it never really got ugly like, you know, like some campaigns we've seen. But to, to expect Andrew Shear to win this was, I think, a little unusual. But Brad Trost placing number four, I think, was remarkable. And there's a huge tip of the hat that has to go to his team that helped him sculpt himself. Because I remember uh, I actually interviewed uh, Brad here on the show when he first got started way back uh, last, was it last fall? September, October, somewhere in there. We had him in studio, and you know he was a good interview. But I watched him over the course of the inter- over the course of the race, and he just got better and better and better. And he stood there on stage during one of the debates, and he said, "You know, I'm the only real scientist up here. I have a degree, a couple degrees in science, one in economics, and one in, in geophysics. I think is his other one." And he says, I know what science looks like, and I can tell you, global warming is. You know, he just wouldn't buy into the global warming scam. He was the only one that took that stance. He was the only one who was one of the very few, I shouldn't say the only one, but one of the very few who took a, a principled stand on conservative, social conservative values and came in fourth. He came in fourth. And Andrew Scheer is about the same kind of social conservative that Brad Trost was. So what happened in all that, the whole point I'm making here is that socially conservative values got shoved to the forefront. And in the beginning of the campaign, nobody wanted to talk to them. Oh, those, oh we can't talk about that stuff. That's just poison. It's toxic. We can't do it. By the time the campaign was over, the attitude had done a 180-degree turn. So I just I want to congratulate all the people who ran in the race. Listen, getting into involved in political political life at any level t- is an act of courage in and of itself. But to try to 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 win the hearts and minds of enough people to put yourself in the position to become prime minister of the country. That is, you know, that's the highest calling in the land as far as I'm concerned. So to watch Brad, to watch uh, uh, Andrew handle himself with Peter Mansbridge. Peter Mansbridge did not like that interview at the end. It was only a couple of minutes, and you know it was funny because he was talking about a whole bunch of stuff, and Brad was just saying, you know, he wouldn't be baited. He knew how to handle the media, and at the end of it, there was almost a sarcastic tone. Now I'm going to take that back. There was a sarcastic tone in um, um, Peter's voice. When the interview was over, he said, well, good luck to you. Like, you know, yeah, you're going to need it, pal. That kind of thing. Uh, so anyway, the, the, he, I thought he handled himself well. Now, I got a clip about a minute 22 here. I want to play. I won't play the whole thing, actually, because what Andrew has to say is more important than the banal, just nonsensical response we always get from the liberal government uh, that's presently running the country running it into the ground, but that's a different story. So this is going to be about 60 or 70 seconds, but I want you to deliver. listen to this. This is clever. It's not brilliant oratory, but it's clever. And it shows you that this guy is not exactly a rookie hooky. This guy uh, has his wits about him because I don't think he scripted this. So here it is. This is Andrew Shear. Let me, uh, I got to turn that back up because I turned it down. Okay, but there. All right, here we go. Okay, both there. Speaker, the minute 
producer thinks that tracking a topic on Twitter is a better way of consulting Canadians right, than holding a referendum. Hashtag logical. Their motion gives liberals their motion gives liberals on the committee total control of the process to fundamentally change the way Canadians vote. Hashtag that seems fair. We know liberals don't respect Parliament, and now we can see that they don't respect Canadians either. Hashtag arrogance, hashtag out of touch, hashtag disrespect. Consultations, can she finally agree to holding a hashtag referendum? Oh, see, there you go. That was <laughs> that was all that was really necessary because they, they turned it over to the Liberals, and, of course, they came back with their usual nonsense. But, just <laughs> you know, I thought it was clever. And it, you know something? There's something about Mr. Shear. He is... I want to call him the. I don't want to call him the Pillsbury Doughboy. That's not fair, but there's something bubbly about his personality that's infectious. I mean, it's you got to really try not to like Andrew Shear. So I think we, they've they've done well. I know Maxine, you know, uh, had was really. I think even he believed he was going to win. So when it turned out that it didn't go quite his way, um, there was. Some disappointment on his part, and I don't blame him. I mean, whenever you run something like that, you're always going to be uh, disappointed if you don't win. But I have a feeling that that group of people up on that stage who ran are going to be a lot better team players. Um, now that they have a very clear leader, they know what an agenda is. Remember, when you look at the polls, the Liberals and the Conservatives and the Tories aren't all that far apart, and they only had an interim leader. So now that they have a leader they can get behind – and the the conservatives of the country can support uh who's who, he's not going to he he's just it's a fresh face from a point of view he's been in office for a while he's been speaker of the house that kind of thing but from a leadership point of view he's a fresh face so it's going to be a very exciting time i think to be a conservative on the federal side i wish i could say the same about the um about the uh, provincial side cuz that is not the same kettle of fish at all all right before I get into that, you know something, as painful as this is to listen to, I want to play you about a two-minute clip of Justin Trudeau. It's, a, uh, it's an ad. Uh, it's called Positive Politics. And there is a lesson. Somebody posted, mentioned a comment on Facebook about this. They posted a comment that says, we could learn from this. As conservatives, we could learn this because I think that as conservatives, and I'm using the small C conservatives, we make a pretty fatal mistake most of the time. We think we can win emotional arguments with logic, common sense, and reason. I mean, when we present an argument and it's logical, we go, well, why wouldn't anybody agree with that? Because the answer to that is because there's a lot of people who have so much emotionally invested in a particular position that even when you're right, they can't admit it. They won't admit it because they'd rather chew broken glass than admit that this is not, you know, that, okay, their position is wrong. Because what does it mean? If Take David Suzuki. I, use, I like using him as an example because it's the most extreme one I can think of. If David Suzuki woke up today and said, oh, my God, I've just had an epiphany, I'm wrong. Global warming isn't our fault at all. As a matter of fact, it's nothing more than a rhythm of the earth, which is exactly what it is. 
No one denies that the climate changes. The question is what causes it. And the answer that it's us is absolute nonsense. So imagine David Suzuki wakes up and comes to that realization. Do you think he's going to walk up to a microphone and have a press conference and say, guys, I know we spent trillions and trillions of dollars on this, and I know I've made it my life's work, but I'm wrong. It's not our fault. Go back to the way you were, you know, we're going to repeal all the nonsense that's making everything more expensive in the in the in the quest to make things green, you know, and try to save the planet, as George Carlin would put it. The planet doesn't need saving; the people do. Okay, he's not going to wake up and do that, even if he believed that he wouldn't do it. Certainly not publicly. And this is the same thing. So we we defeat ourselves many times because we don't recognize that our opponents. When it comes to politics or whatever topic it is, if they're emotionally attached to something, then you're almost beat before you start. It's like if you try to buy something from somebody and they have an unrealistic value. Imagine you ask any real estate agent about emotional attachment. Okay, When you go to buy a home and the homeowner thinks the home is worth $300,000. And the real estate agent looks at him and says, "No, it's worth about two forty-five. No, it's not. Are you kidding? I've lived here all my life. I've worked hard to get this place to this. I've done everything. This place is worth. I, it's a bargain at three hundred thousand. Well, yes and no, because the place down the street, which isn't a whole lot different, only sold for two thirty-nine. This is a little bit nicer. The place across the road sold about for two fifty. It's not quite as nice. So you fit in that. No, 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 no. They get emotionally invested." And they can't back away, or it's very difficult. So, th- and all that's to lead up so that I can play you this clip. Runs about two minutes because the lesson in this isn't the message, because the message is nonsense. What it is about, it's about the vehicle the message is delivered in. All right, now I know there's a bit of a, a, a lag between what I'm saying and what you're hearing because of the live thing. So bear with me just a minute. I've got to turn, I'm playing this off my laptop. So I've got to turn my laptop back up, which means I've got to turn this microphone off. So bear with me a second. I'll get this going in just a second. Okay, so there you go. That's a minute and 48. The rest of it's just more, you know, appeals for funding for the Liberal government. It's all nonsense. None of that that he talked about is at least a lot of it is just flat wrong. The rest of it is just contorted out of reality. But I did. It doesn't matter about that. What matters, what matters is whether or not you like Justin Trudeau. He was passionate about what he said. He believes this stuff. That's why he's so dangerous as a prime minister. He believes that stuff. But there's you know, it used to be. That was us. If you listen to the old recordings of Winston Churchill, you do your worst and we shall do our best, sends a chill down my spine every time I hear it. And I play it probably about two, three times a year just just because I want to hear it again. It's like a booster shot. We used to be like that. We were passionate about what we believed in because we were convicted in the fact that we were right. We had logic. We had reason. And we had common sense on our side and the facts to go with all that. And that's why. That's one of the reasons why we could move mountains. We could do the things he talked about. 
maybe not building healthcare and all that, but win two world help win two world world wars, carve a nation out of the one of the largest expanses of wilderness wilderness on the planet. Canadian achievements are just unbelievable. What we have accomplished as a nation, none of which are the things that he talked about. No reference to our history, no reference to the old stock that actually built the place. You see, folks, whether you like it or not, there, there, there is a place for common sense, logic, and reason. But if you don't have a certain amount of passion for what you believe in and an ability to convey that passion, then it doesn't matter how logical you are. It doesn't matter how much common sense you have. And it certainly doesn't matter about the reasons. Okay? You're going to get, they're going to tune right out. They're going to overwhelm you with their emotions. They're going to say, you don't care. You don't, you don't like the look. Look at Kathleen Wynne with his nonsensical $15 an hour. You know what the answer, Patrick Brown won't do this, but what the answer should be? If it was me, I would walk to a podium, and it's not me and it's never going to be me, but let's pretend that I were the, the, the leader of the opposition. Do you think I'd come out and say, well, this hurts business, and this doesn't help those it's targeted for? And I think that uh, anyone with any kind of brain in their head or, you know, logically, this shouldn't. You're kidding me. Nobody's going to listen to that. No. you got to come out. you got to put your hands on the podium and you say, this kind of stuff is the kind of stuff that kills countries. This kind of nonsense is how we end up with so many poor people in the first place. Kathleen Wynne is the cause of the poverty she's trying to alleviate. Winston, not Winston Churchill, um... Uh, the hair, flying hair scientist, Einstein, said the kind of mind that's created the problem will never be the one that solves it. So have your have some passion. You don't need to be spitting on the screen. You don't need to be, you know, thundering like a like a roaring lion. Just put some fire in it. Walk out and convince people that not only are you right, but you know that you're right. And say, look, folks. This doesn't make any sense, and here's why. And then lay out what hap- what it means to $15 an hour. Let me tell you this about $15 an hour. There's a couple, this is a double-edged sword. First of all, it's a huge tax grab. I had a debate with a guy uh, on, on Facebook before the show about this, and you know something? It is a tax grab because here's what happens. When you go up to $15 an hour, you start paying taxes. At 11, what's the minimum wage now? 11.40, 11.60, something like that. First of all, I believe there should be no minimum wage at all because minimum wage – I was reading – where's the Metro? I thought I brought the Metro in. It doesn't matter. Uh, in the Metro magazine, on the Metro local Metro newspaper tonight uh, – it's in my briefcase. Maybe I'll find it later. I thought I brought it in. Anyway, they were talking about this one girl uh, in downtown Toronto says, I can barely make it. You know, I can barely make it at minimum wage. I, I, it's to a point where I can't eat. Well, then go get a job that pays better. And if you can't find one, make one. You see, the, the whole point is that with with when you have an artificial floor, what you do is you remove the market from determining what a job is worth. Because if you are working at a coffee shop, are you worth? Is is the the amount of effort, the amount of wealth that you create? through the actions you trade your time and energy for, right, is it worth 
15 or $30 an hour because let's say you're pouring coffee. Is there 30 bucks of, of, uh, in, uh, of income in that pot of coffee? Not even Starbucks can make 30 bucks on a pot of coffee. And how many cups of coffee do you have to pour in an hour to come up with not only enough to cover your wages, but your benefits and provide some profit so the owner can stay in business and keep you employed? You see, that's the problem. The other side of this is they're going, it's going to force business to automate. You see it now. Now, I will admit about once a week or so, I find myself in a fast food restaurant for one reason or another. Maybe just to get something to drink, maybe to have a hamburger, whatever it is. Okay? So if you go into any of them or take, take a grocery store. Maybe that's a better example. Go to a grocery store. Um, I was in one yesterday, Loblaws, over in College Square. And... And I'm not picking on Loblaws. It's true of all of them. You go in there, and they've got about six automated tellers. You know what that means? There are six jobs gone. So you have a choice. You either stand in line and wait at the checkout in the old-fashioned style, which I prefer because I like talking to people. And believe it or not, you once in a while can strike up a conversation with either the person in line in front of you or with the teller for a few seconds as you're going through. Not enough to hold anybody else up, but just, you know, a pleasant hello or whatever to have that little bit of personal interaction. And they'd, they'll, they'll tell look at you and say, hmm, uh, that was, you know, you just kind of have that engagement. But remember something, that if you have an automated teller, they don't need a coffee break. They don't go to the bathroom. They don't need a lunch break. They don't need compensation. All they need is hydro. And somebody has come come by once in a while to make sure there's money in there to spit out when you pay with cash to give you the change that you need or the receipt that you need when you pay with debit or credit. That's the future. Now, the difference is by raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, you are going to rush that future a lot faster. Because companies don't want to go out of business, but they will economize. And if it means laying people off to stay in business, they'll do it. And Kathleen Wynne has done that. She has put them in that position. And it's frustrating to watch. Because having an artificial minimum wage not only discriminates against people who have no marketable skills, but could get them working for a minimal wage till they provide some you know, value for their efforts. Then you can go out and take that skills. I've got a daughter, 18 years old, who's looking for her first job. The kid is a hard worker. She is, you know, she's just a really good kid. I'm really proud of her. All right? And I have no doubt she'll find a job. But the point is, how much more difficult is her job search going to be now? Because not only is she competing against thousands of other kids, even at just $11.60 or $0.40, whatever it is, let's call it 11 bucks. if they raise it to 15 there's going to be all kinds of jobs that just disappear. So now the competition's even harder. This doesn't help anybody except the liberals. It's a huge tax grab, and it's a fuzzy feel-good thing that most people who won't bother or have no understanding of how business works, they're not going to be able to run this through the mental just grist mill because they don't get it. They don't understand that a business does not have bottomless pockets and the owners are just greedy, selfish, capitalist pigs who don't want to share the wealth. That's not true. I, I go in and out of businesses every single day. 
when I'm not on the radio, I'm out there flogging, peddling my wares. I'm, I go around talking businesses into switching over their point of sale services to the company that I represent, and I give them a great deal and work out a deal and da 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 da. da. Okay, so I'm in and out of businesses all day long. And today, guess what we were talking about? I was in one store for half an hour. Usually I'm in and out in five or ten minutes because the owner was telling me about how terrible this is for him and future uh, employment prospects who are going to come to him looking for work that he would have otherwise been able to hire. And yet I'm told I'm the one who doesn't understand how business works. (sighs) I'm overdue for break. All right. Tell you what. We'll play a brand new commercial for you tonight right here. But we'll be right back after this with more on The Naked Night Show. technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. All right. I'm told I should look at the camera more often. (laughs) I'm getting used to this, folks. I'm trying to do 14 things here once, and most of them I don't do very well. So bear with me. I'm learning. Uh, But I had to laugh when I read that. Maybe you should look at the camera more often. (laughs) Maybe when I do, I scare myself. (laughs) All right. Now, uh, where was I going to go next? Oh, yeah. Let me go back to this. Oh, I know what I want to do. There is a uh, everybody. If you don't know by now, I really like Bill Whittle, and he has about a four minute clip on socialism, the very thing that I've been talking about. So I want to get let you listen to this because he does a really good job of of explaining why socialism sucks. So let me take care of the technical things, and I'll play this for you right away. Hang on. Okay, so there you go. That was Bill Whittle explaining. Uh, and if you couldn't hear, especially on Facebook Live, if you couldn't hear it too well, I apologize for that. This is a a learning. This is the first attempt at this. So if it's a little rough around the edges, I apologize. However, uh, basically what he said was that, uh, look, socialism is the um, unequal is the uh, uh, equal distribute. Dis- 
distribution of misery. Wait, no, that was Winston Churchill. But uh, if you want to watch it, go just type, uh, go to Google and type in Bill Whittle um, social socialism. Just look up the Bill Whittle um, uh, uh, library of videos. He does a great job of, of explaining these things in very very clear and concise terms that even I can understand. So that tells you something. There's got to be some value to it somewhere. The numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766 if you want to um, uh, give us a call. We can certainly talk about that. Now, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Let me dive into uh, what else is going on politically. There is, on on the provincial scale... Uh, we all know about what happened with Jack McLaren. Now, look, I consider Jack a friend. I've known Jack since his days with the OLF. As a matter of fact, I've known all three leaders of the Ontario Landowners Federation. OLA, sorry, association. Um, first, of course, was Randy Hillier. Uh, next was uh, Jack, Jack McLaren. And, and now we have Tom Black. And all three men are men of integrity. They just... Um, they just... Randy Hillier was the one who, when he got elected, managed to adjust himself to life in the big house down in Queen's Park. Jack has always been a bit of an outsider and a bit of a, uh, I won't say, well, rogue might be part of it. Um, But they have been looking for reasons to get rid of him for quite a while. The video that was the final straw was from five years ago. As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly, I spoke at that same event to the same group, to the Canadians for Language Fairness, that Jack was talking to. I remember sitting there listening to him. And he didn't say anything that was outrageous. Okay, if you watch the video, there was nothing there worth getting booted over. They were looking for an excuse. Now, he told um, the different media outlets that he's talked to since all hell broke loose last weekend, um, that he was ready to jump to the Trillium, to the Trillium politi- the political party called Trillium, uh, and he was going to make an announcement. So, in effect, Patrick Brown sandbagged him. In other words, took took the carpet out from under his feet and threw him out. Well, if you got to pick between two of them, I can tell you for a f- I can tell you that Jack McLaren's telling you the truth on that score. Now, I think. That unfortunately, Jack stepped on a landmine. Uh, he when he had the uh, interview on the local radio station here with Evan Solomon, and just melted down. He just lost it. He also blew up what was if, it, if there was any chance of him going anywhere uh, as a politician. It is my opinion that those days are now behind him. Uh, he's going to go to the Trillium Party now. The Trillium Party managed to. Uh, and I'm not making this stuff up. You can look this up yourself. Uh, I Between the two candidates they ran to pull together 400 votes in a province of 11 million people. The head of that group, uh, the, the head of the party, Bill Yasek, has never been able to get the Trillium Party into the press. They have had no electoral success, none. They have no grassroots organization. And this is the party that Jack is fleeing to. All I can say is good luck to him. Now, if you think, and there's a lot of people out there who do, that think that, if I can just find this real fast. Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, If you think that the Trillium Party is going to be your home for right-wing social conservatives, I wish I could say yes to that. But I've had a bad feeling about this whole thing from the beginning. Now, a few weeks ago, I went and looked at their platform, and I wish I wish I had taken a screenshot of it, and I didn't. But I did notice 
a friend of mine was I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, "Have you seen their stance on education?" I said, "What are you talking about?" Well, they've changed it. So I went back and I looked, and sure enough, um, here's let me just share with you this little piece. There's if you want to go to my Facebook page, the link is there. You can look this up yourself, or just go to the Trillium Party and look under policies. So I'll share with you my thoughts about it, and then I'll tell you what the thing is. For those of you who thought the Trillium Party would be a safe haven for right-wing social conservatives, here's their policy on education regarding school boards. How can a school board have autonomy, be it public or Catholic, if it's administered by the same organization? This is a new change to their platform that was not there two weeks ago. So if they will make, a, make this change to a fundamental principle that's founded in the BNA, what else is up for grabs? Now, here's the, the paragraph that deals with this from their platform. The Trillium Party of Ontario believes the public and separate school boards should be, in general, administered by the same governing body. This will not interfere with a separate curriculum for each of the public school boards and the Catholic system, which they currently practice. Yes, it will. When you have it administered by the same group, it will take on the flavor of that administration. That's like saying if you have two hockey teams run by the same management, don't be surprised if they look and act and play the same way. I'm sorry. It's just not true. And if they're going to shift on that, what else are they going to shift on? So good luck to, to those who have uh, want to park themselves with the Trillium uh, Party. Uh, that's all I can say. Um, I just, it's not, it's a, it's a centrist party. It is not a right-wing party. That's the bottom line. And if you think that it is, then I'm, I'm just, all I can do is caution you to be careful. Um, make sure you know who you're dealing with. And all I can tell you is that it's not something I would endorse. It's not a party that I would get behind. Uh, I don't generally do that anyway. I do know there are other things in the works. It's too way too soon to talk about that yet. Uh, you know, we'll, that'll come in, in due course. But the Trillium Party is not the place. Now, I'm your your big big boys and girls. You you decide what you want to do. If you decide that that's where you want to go, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you not to. I will caution you against it. That's what I'll do. But I am not going to sit here and say no, 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 don't go there because I have no right to do that. I'm just giving you what I think based on what I've learned over the last several weeks, even a couple of months, about that party, what it stands for, who runs it, and that kind of stuff. So if you want to go that way, go ahead, but you've been warned. So that's the, the story on that. Now, I want to flip over to, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of problems with Donald Trump, and he's another one that can be his own worst enemy. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the last tweet, I can't even spell it. I can't tell. He tweeted something out at 3 o'clock in the morning, and even he didn't know what it was. Okay, somebody needs to take his cell phone away from him when he goes to bed at night. I don't know. But if he only accomplishes two things, he'll be a successful president. If he can get them, get the Americans out of the Paris Accord, it will kill the Paris Accord. It's why the Europeans don't like him, because he isn't playing by their game game plan. He's, he doesn't want uh, outside interests controlling uh, what happens within the borders of the United States. He doesn't want to be a party to a, an agreement that would have that kind of negative effect on his economy. Like, I get that, and so does he, and he's ready to pull them out of the Paris Accord. And the other thing that if he does, I just, you know what, that, that would be enough for me. I would say, look, you could, you could quit right there, and that would be good enough, and that's to get the United States out of the U.N. 
or at least stop sending the money because he's really serious about doing that too. Uh, so let me share with you just a couple of paragraphs out of the story from the Ottawa Sun today. Uh, let's see. It starts here. President Donald Trump is expected to withdraw the United States from a landmark global climate agreement, a White House official said Wednesday, though Trump and aides were looking for caveats in the language related to the exit and had not made a final decision. I think the decision has been made. They're just looking for ways to backpedal out of this. And listen, if that's what it takes, I'll hand them the paddle uh, because I want them out of it, too. I think that's going to kill this and it's going to force whether Trudeau likes it or not. You know something? This I know the guy has no clue about economics. Now I will give him credit for standing up for the for the Tinder pipeline against what's going on in British Columbia. You know we have to get a, find a way to get our our, our uh, energy products to market, and the Tinder uh, the Tinder pipeline is one way is one way of getting that done to a growing market in the in in the uh, I don't want to say Middle East, but in the Southeast Asia across the Pacific there. Uh, so we need to do that. And uh, to his credit, Justin Trudeau seems to be standing up against the new coalition out of B.C., which is a marriage made in hell, by the way. But anyway, I'm digressing. The whole point here is that he has basically said uh, that uh, he's going to he's pulling them out. Now, there's an interesting paragraph um, in here, if I can find it. Where did it go? Do, do, do. I had it set aside. Uh, okay. Maybe I put it someplace else. Anyway, the whole point was um, that the U.N. responded almost immediately and said that, uh, you know, this is unprecedented. We can't change it. We can't stop it. And I thought and I said to myself, well, if we can't change it, then why are we trying? Why are we spending untold mountains of treasure to change, to, to do something about that, that we have no control over. We have, he, They just admitted that we have no control of it. When they say we cannot change it, we cannot stop it, it's unstoppable was the words. Well, then why are we trying? Why are we spending millions and billions of dollars every day to try to change something we have no control over? That's like walking down to the Bay of Fundy and taking a piece of 8x4 plywood, put it in the current, and try to stop the tide. That's what it amounts to. So how does that work? Anyway, so I just thought I'd, that if, if he gets nothing else done, please let him get that done. Let him get that done, because, boy, that would be a big deal. All right, I have to take another break. For those of you on Facebook, just bear with me. I'm working on, on uh, trying to make this a little more... Um, what's the word, uh, fluid, so that you guys hear the same thing the people online hear. You can listen to both, by the way. You can tune in online, too. But uh, I do have to do this. I have to pay the bills, that kind of stuff. So we'll be right back with more after this on the Nick at Night Show.
Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. we got plenty of time for phone calls. Uh, we kind of thrive on them around here. It's always fun to take a phone call or two, so don't be shy. We don't bite, and if I do bite, I don't bite hard, and I've had most of my shots. All right, now, uh, back into the serious issues of the day. Okay, we did the Bill Whittle thing, so I can dump that. Uh now, you know, in the midst of Kathleen Wynne talking about um, how poor people have it, how tough it is for people to make it. I mean, you would think that the government in response, even in the symbolistic gesture, would be careful about how it spends money, would not want to be. Well, let me let me tell it to you this way a lot of professionals like doctors and lawyers are told not to show too much lifestyle like don't pull up in you know your um seventy thousand dollar bmw to the to the office buy yourself a honda or something you know don't show too much because people think holy cow well, i guess he doesn't need me if there's a sense of uh, of uh, people get the sense of what's what's i don't know how to phrase it um they don't want to feel left out or turned off or, you know, take it for granted. You know, well, holy cow, how much money is he making on this tooth he's going to pull? Or how much am I paying for out of my bill is going to support that car? So you would think that people who are paid by the public who then turn around and tell the public how, how tough they are, they, they feel their pain. So they want to inflict more pain on the population uh, in order to get a oh, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, raise the minimum wage. That's what I mean. Raise the minimum wage, not inflict pain. Oh, no, we don't inflict pain unless you're paying your hydro bill or unless you're trying to pay for the uh, the, the new tax on gas or you have to you have to come up with the extra three bucks an hour to pay the people that are left after you had to fire people so you'd have enough money to be able to pad the other salaries. Uh, you know, other than that, well, we don't do pain. So... You would think that they would be sensitive, right? Except for the fact they just went out and spent $200,000. The province kicked in about one hundred twenty, and the, and the federales topped up the rest to get a six-story tall, 20,000-pound inflatable yellow ducky. Now, this might not be the first you've heard of this story. And this, the picture in the paper seems to be from one of the American ports because the ship behind it is a World War II-class battleship um, that might be in, on the way to Philadelphia. 
That might be the USS New Jersey. I don't know. I can't tell. I can't remember. Anyway, they've got this massive duck being towed by a tow- by a tugboat. Now, let me ask you something. If you had to pick an animal, um, if you had to pick an animal and make an inflatable replication of that animal to symbolize Canada, would a yellow bathtub duck be the first thing that comes leaping to mind? No, I didn't think so either. Look, this is, first of all, it's an egregious waste of money. And as my colleague Rob Snow pointed out this morning, uh, if there is that much money to be made at it, because I agree with him. I think if you pull this up along some harbor side somewhere, people are going to come down in their tens of thousands and spend five or ten bucks to get near this thing so they can take a selfie next to the big rubber duck. So if you want to talk about, uh, you know, is it a money-making venture? Yeah, probably. But if it is, then what's the government doing funding it? Why are they spending $120,000 from the provincial side and $80,000 from the federals, from the federales, to fund something that the private industry could do and make money at? Anyway, like, I just don't get it. But more than that, if you had to pick an animal, Okay, if you had to pick an animal that talk that demonstrates to you uh, what Canada represents, I want you, especially for you folks on Facebook Live, take a second and just send me a little note about what animal you think best represents Canada. Uh, I can tell you right now, top of the list is not a yellow rubber ducky you would find floating in a bathroom. It's just, I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, beaver, you would think to be first one. A loon, maybe. A loon would make sense, considering we put one on our dollar. Remember that? The loony? Uh, who doesn't remember the loony? Uh, so you could have a polar bear. You could have a moose. You could have an elk or a deer. All kinds of stuff. Any, any animal that resides in Canada would be better than a yellow ducky. So it's just, but I think the thing about it, folks, that that, that I find, because I got a sense of humor. I, it's not that I, I don't think you can do stuff that's fun. But if you're doing it because it celebrates the 150th anniversary of our confederation as a nation, a yellow ducky, really? Like, I think Sesame Street, long before I ever think of Byword Market, or, you know, um, uh, Lake Louise or Niagara Falls, right? You could, you know what? What about Big Joe Mackinac? Or what the heck is his name? Um, Big Joe Mac- Mufferaw. Uh, Tom, T- Tom T. Hall did a, um, not Tom T. Hall. Yeah, Tom T. Hall. No. Um, come on, the Canadian. Tom um, uh, Tom Connors did a song about Big Joe Mufferaw uh, going up and down. He was a big, more, larger than life um uh, Lumberjack was kind of the sort the inspiration for um, oh what's that American with the big blue ox? Um, uh, his name's gone now. Um, Paul Bunyan, Paul Bunyan in blue. Uh, that was actually where the idea came from for Paul Bunyan was from Big Joe Muffra. You want to put something up there? Put that up there. You want to have some fun with it? Put a beaver on a moose on a raft. Propelled by Big Joe Mufferaw. You could have all kinds of fun with this. But a rubber ducky. But the point is that either way, this is a slap in the face of all the people who are struggling to pay their hydro bills.
$200,000. That's more than you know, most people make. Well, I don't know what the average salary is, but I, I know that people, there's a lot of people who make fifty grand a year. So that $200,000 could either fund one person for four years or four people for one year. That's the same amount of money that is. So doesn't it make sense? See, this is where you talk about emotion versus common sense, logic, and reason, right? Kathleen Wynne has no problem allowing money to be spent like that. At the same time, standing in front of a podium and telling us how tough life is. And how economically hard-pressed we are. But why don't you demonstrate you understand it and not rent a $200,000 duck? Boy, you know, it's stuff like this that just makes my job so much fun. And now it's going to, don't forget, it's going to go to Goderich, it's going to go to Windsor, it's going to go to all these Great Lake ports, which is fine. We did that when I was in the Navy in 1984. We took HMCS Saginaw up the Great Lakes. It was a great trip. We had a blast. We stopped in Windsor, and I got mobbed by three girls. And I didn't tell the, the reporter who was taking the picture. I ended up in the picture being mobbed by three women. I didn't tell them two were my sister and one was a friend of mine. <laughs> it's just that was one time you just keep your mouth shut and make it look good, right? <laughs> I say a girl in every report, heck with that, I had three. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that's a little bit different animal. That's showing the flag, that's showing off, uh, you know, letting people see what their, their defense dollars at work. It was a great port of call uh, for the sailors. We had an absolute riot on that trip. We stopped in Godrich and we had a pistol shoot competition against the Godrich, Godrich police force. They kicked our butts all over the range, but we had fun. You know, it was a great time. But So there are certain times when the government should do that, but 100th anniversary and a yellow ducky? No, I'm sorry. That just doesn't get it. Doesn't cut it. Now, oh, man. This is another one of those stories, shifting gears here. And how? Oh, I know why. Okay, I get it. Marilla, if you remember, Marilla Boulanger, and I'm, I'm changing topics here on you. Marilla Boulanger is the um, member of parliament who passed away and he had a private member's bill. He wanted to gender neutra neutralize the Canadian national anthem, O Canada. And he wanted to take out To All Our Sons Command and change it to All of Us Command. Now, why he felt so... Uh, like this was going to be his legacy, I have no idea. It makes no sense to me at all. I like the original version. As a matter of fact, if you want to get right down to it, I think the Maple Leaf Forever is a better anthem than is O Canada. I love them both, and I don't have any problem singing either one. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that O Canada, uh, but I just personally, I like the tune better. I like the original words better. Uh, <clears throat> And I think it does. It pays better tribute to our history than does O Canada. It's just a more interesting song to sing, whatever. And I, I think that uh, it, it's just a better song. But anyway, so uh, where it gets down to, um, um, where it gets interesting is when you get into the Senate. And let me just scroll up here a little bit. Uh, start here. Belanger was a longtime MP for Ottawa Vanier and succumbed to ALS. Last August, his struggle with the disease was public. So was his, and so was his championing of the national anthem bill, which passed the Commons last June, but still must be approved by the Senate. 
Plett, I believe that's a senator. Senator Plett said he believes the anthem is already inclusive in its present form, but the only appropriate change to the anthem would be to revert to the lyrics penned by the author himself. So this is someone who's resisting this bill, a conservative um, senator. The proposed words, Thou dost in us command, come from a first draft composed by Judge Robert Stanley Weir. To change the specific language proposed by Belongia isn't necessarily a bad idea, Lankin conceded. I'm not opposed to Plett's language. I think it accomplishes gender neutrality, and I think it's, it is the heritage language of O Canada. But even if the intentions are good, all senators need to know what the effect would be of holding up the legislation. Tensions have continued to rise between Tory senators and the rest of the chamber. Taking issue with general with a general attack on conservative tactics during speeches in the anthem bill Tuesday, Plett said he and liberal senators have reached common ground before and hell hasn't frozen over yet. Lankin recalled supporting one of Plett's amendments on another bill and shot back, I want to assert that you have a short memory. Legislators have tried to put similar bills forward for 30 years, but none got this far in the Senate. Lankin said conservatives have been obstructing the bill from coming to a vote before Canada Day when Canada turns 150 and uh, when Canada Day 150 celebrations could be a showcase for a new gender neutral anthem. You know what? I don't want a gender neutral anthem. I think the anthem's fine the way it is. I think I don't I have no idea and I'm not trying to be smirched to dead, don't get me wrong. But this whole thing is a farce. Why? Have you ever look? Have you ever take the take the words of the French national anthem and translate them and read them and tell me that it's it's a call to violence? It's absolutely one of the most bloodthirsty anthems I've ever read. I, maybe I'll do that after the show or something. I'll post that on uh, on my Facebook page. What the French national anthem? Now, normally I don't give a a flying, as Lowell would say, a flying fox fart about what other nations do. But our national anthem is benign already. Okay? It really is harmless from that perspective. And they still aren't satisfied. Leave the blasted anthem alone. And yet they're trying to shove it through so that we can have it on Capitol Hill. You know what? If anybody... I would... <laughs> If I was ever asked to sing the anthem at a hockey game or anything like that, out of spite, I'd sing the Maple Leaf Forever with the original words. I really would. Just to tick them off. Because some days I'm just like that. I don't like people who meddle with historical documents. And let's face it, the O Canada and or the Maple Leaf Forever, whichever you prefer, one could easily substitute for the other. It's kind of like God Bless America and the Stars and Stripes down the States, right? They've got the two songs they can kind of interchange. So do we. Although I bet you the vast majority of Canadians have never heard the original words to uh, Maple Leaf Forever. However, you can look that up on your own time if you want to. But I just find it funny how the Senate all of a sudden gets involved in this, and they're mad because they can't get it done in time for um, candidates. I don't want it done in time for Canada. I don't want it done at all. So it doesn't bother me. This is a tempest in a teapot in the red chamber, which really is beneath them. They should just say, you know what? No, we're not changing the anthem. It's been that way for almost 100 years. We're leaving it alone. If you don't like it, tough. But that would take something most politicians don't have. It's called courage.
and spine. All right. I have to take a little bit of a break here, refresh my teacup. So for those of you on, on Facebook Live, hang in there. I'll be back in about a, a minute or two. I just have trot off the little boy's room. That's what's really going on here, to tell you the truth. So let me see. i got to go over here and do this. There we go. We'll be right back with more on the Nick at Night Show. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and, and you'll be fine. Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at latenightcouncil.com, or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And of course, I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at latenightcouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you're, you're, we've we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. Boy, time that just about perfectly. Welcome back, folks. Nick at night here. Uh, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. All right. Now, what's next on the list, you say, you ask? I haven't got the foggiest idea. Let me look. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Um, I hope this you, you'll be able to hear this a little better on Facebook this time than we last time I tried to play a clip. I'm trying to balance a bunch of things here, so we'll give this a spin. This is only about a minute 11 long anyway, so it won't be too bad. But this is, you want to talk about meltdowns. We all we talked about Jack McLaren's meltdown, 
um, in the media. And there's look, one of the golden rules when you're being interviewed is never attack the host. That is such a dumb idea, okay? Because when you do that, you just look childish. This time, there is a gentleman on this. Um, uh, CN- the title is CNN host loses it after Trump supporter doubts CNN sources. Okay, well, given the kind of nonsense that CNN's involved in, it's kind of nice to see them being held to account because there's one young lady on this panel that they've got gathered around these glass tables they all use. I don't know why they bother with glass, but whatever. Um, she just loses it and starts yelling at him and pointing her finger at him like, so anyway, it's fun to watch and it's fun to listen to. So I'm going to try and play this. So give me a second. There's a little process I have to go through here to make this all work. And let's see, we do this. There we go. Okay, I just realized I forgot to turn. (laughs) I missed the button. Oh, well, I'm uh, not going to play that again. I screwed that up royally. Let me turn that down there. (laughs) I'll get this sorted out, I promise. All right, for those of you online, my apologies. It was only a minute or so, so it wasn't too bad. But it was worth it because basically with the the CNN host, uh, the hostess, I should say, simply lost it because this guy had the audacity to suggest that CNN's uh, journalists might not tell the truth. Well, considering recent history, is that really that much of a stretch? So it was nice to see somebody finally holding CNN's feet to the fire and saying, you know what, I don't necessarily think you're being totally honest with us. I don't necessarily think that when stuff like this happens, that we should automatically just take your word for it because you've done something called the big swirl with your reputation. You know, reputations are something that take a long time to build and are very quickly destroyed. They really are. You can you can have all kinds of bad things happen. One of the best examples, I tell you, one of the reasons why I don't endorse politicians because I did it once. And boy, did I get burned. And so did a lot of other people. I won't go into details, but there was a certain mayoral candidate who ran against the current, who the, the mayor at the time, Bob Shirelli, who was saying, it, oh, man, he had, the, he had it figured out. He had it nailed. He knew what the, the issues. He was talking like, you know, everything he said is exactly what we wanted to hear. I even did, a, I even did an ad for him for his campaign. I mean, I, when he would call my show, I would introduce him as the next mayor of the city of Ottawa. I made a huge mistake. Because one day we all woke up to hear him say, well... You can't run a campaign on a beer budget. Now, if he just stopped there, everything would have been fine. But then he said, I am going to support Bob Shirelli in his bid for mayor. And he stabbed everybody in the back in one fell swoop. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, don't worry about it. And if you do, you know what I'm talking about. So I do not get in the business of endorsing politicians. I like certain policies. I like certain platforms. I have no problem telling people I'm a small-c conservative, but I don't endorse candidates. After that, I learned my lesson. 
And I had a reason for telling you that. What was it? I can't think of it now. It's gone. Now, so we talked about the duck. Oh, God. Every time I look at that blasted duck. Oh, boy. Okay, let me go here. And there is... um, I know there's another. There was another story in here somewhere I wanted to tell you about. I just gotta yield down to it, uh, meltdown. Oh yeah, I knew it was here somewhere. Let me ask you something. Okay, you've all heard of cultural appropriation, right? Where somebody takes advantage of somebody else's culture, even though they have no claim to that culture, other than the fact they might actually enjoy it. <sighs> When I first noticed this, there was a clip out of one of the universities, and who knows which one it was. It doesn't matter. But they were saying that they, uh, um, this white guy was wearing dreadlocks. Now, I don't – can you imagine me in dreadlocks? It's bad enough looking at me in the first place, okay, for all of you online. <laughs> I'm still not used to this. I am not a video kind of guy. But anyway, the the point is – Dreadlocks and me just don't mix, okay? But this guy decided he was going to wear his young kid, you know, and you know what dreadlocks look like. They look like a, somebody's, somebody's cat has gone nuts on somebody's head, and then they braid the rim reins. Now, I'm not picking on people who want to wear dreadlocks. You knock yourself out. It's supposed to be a free country. So you want to wear dreadlocks? I don't care. No, Not my circus, not my monkeys. But this black girl stopped him and said, you can't wear dreadlocks. And he said, what? I said, nope, you're, you're appropriating my culture. He said some rude things and then said, I'll wear dreadlocks if I want to wear dreadlocks. And they got in, they, they, they had a very nasty verbal exchange because the guy, she accused the guy of cultural appropriation. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, because if you think it was absurd before, Wait till you hear this. Let me just click through this and I'll find a story. No, not that one. How to use that. No, not that one. Where did you go? I just brought it up. Now, come on. I just had it. And I said, okay, I'll go find it again. I found it once. I can find it again. Here it is. Okay. The headline is, (laughs) oh, my God. Should white chefs sell burritos? Controversy over culturally appropriated food sizzles in Portland. Now, look, there's a reason why they call the left coast the left coast, okay? Because they left planet Earth a number of years ago. They just haven't told their feet. Just, okay, let me get into the meat of the story here. Here it is. Okay, should white chefs sell burritos? Now, Portland is is a magnet for this kind of nonsense. I don't know why. Maybe they've been into the wacky tobacco too much, but who knows? Let me share this with you. Portland, Oregon has become the epicenter in a growing movement to call out white people who profit off the culinary ideas and dishes swiped from other cultures. Now, you don't need to go any further. I'll, I'll share a little more of it in a minute, but think about this. That means that if you drive down the 417 going west till you hit the 17 and you drive all the way to Renfrew. You turn left at the second set of lights. You go down to the Tim Hortons so you hit a set of lights. You turn right. You drive all the way out to Kelly's Corners. You turn left. You go all the way out through Eganville. You go past Golden Lake. You go through Deacon. You go past Killaloo and you come to Wilno, the oldest Polish settlement in North America. 
And when they have their Kashub days or they celebrate their Polish culture, only Polish people can go. Because anybody else is appropriating. And if you were to set up a little um, um, Polish sausage stand and try to, you know, make a dollar or two. Oh, boy. According to this, you evil person, you're what kind of height of nonsense have we reached? Let me share a little more. Because of Portland's underlying racism. Well, that's interesting. The people who rightly own these traditions and cultures that exist are already treated poorly. These appropriation businesses are erasing and exploiting are erasing and exploiting their already marginalized identities for the perfect profit price. Wait a minute. If you are cooking food from a particular area, let's say the Caribbean. I was into actually yesterday, I was into a grocery store that deals specifically with food from the Caribbean. They had food I did I I I'd never even seen before. Right? It was a grocery store. It's off Merivale. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the name of it because I don't mind giving them a plug. It was um, M&J Wholesale and Retail Food Grocers or something like that. It's set back a little ways. It's a nice place. You walk in and they got yams and they got all kinds of stuff in there. Just, I, I didn't even know half of what I was looking at. But according to this kind of mentality, if I were to buy it and cook it in a traditional method, somehow I'm erasing it? I'm erasing the culture it comes from? Isn't the whole point of multiculturalism to get to know about other people's cultures? To get to experience what it's like to be part of that culture? Am I missing something? What is it about this kind of nonsense that people would say, oh, well, we can't have that. Oh, I like that one. Polar bear on an ice floe. Yeah, okay. People are sending me suggestions. Stomp and Tom. Hey, there's a good one. Stomp and Tom. About what we can have for, instead of a, a, a rubber ducky, I asked for I, I asked for suggestions, and they're responding. But getting back to this kind of nonsense, somehow you erase a culture by embracing it. You, you extinguish a culture by making it more prevalent. Because, look... I'm a very North American-centered kind of guy when it comes to diet. I like my steak and potatoes and sweet corn and beer. I'll make no apologies for that. Now, that's not exactly the kind of thing you're going to find in the Caribbean on a regular basis unless I were to walk into a restaurant and specifically order it knowing they already had the ingredients, right? Because it's not part of their culture. They don't, they don't do that down there. And I don't have a problem with that. But according to this kind of mindset, if I were to walk into that grocery store off of Merivale and buy some of that stuff and take it home and say, here, honey, make me some Caribbean food, because believe me, what I would do to it, it would not look like food when it was done, and it certainly wouldn't taste like food. But And if Allison's listening, no, it's okay. We, <laughs> you don't have to do that. <laughs> but I'm just saying that you... It, the, the the mental logic and the leaps you have to go through to come to that conclusion, to come to that point, that that mental point where you say, hmm, I think somehow uh, he's profiting. Or if I were to run a restaurant based on that, you know, based out of that grocery store, I'm erasing a culture by profiting from it. That is just plain crazy. 
Someone in the City of Roses even has created a Google Doc listing the white-owned restaurants that have appropriated cuisines. I'm back in the article now, of course. Outside their own culture. For each entry, the document suggests alternative restaurants owned by people of color. You know something? This is what's wrong. Who cares? Who cares? You know what? I couldn't care less what color the owner is when I walk into a restaurant. I was into a restaurant today owned by, uh, I believe he was Vietnamese. He may have been one of the original boat people. I don't know. I didn't care. And the next one, the one that was in Karen, was owned by a black man. Couldn't care less. Doesn't matter to me. You know what matters? When I walk into a restaurant, no matter what, what kind of restaurant it is, Chinese, Japanese, Caribbean, who cares? Is the food any good? Is the food any good? That's all I care about. I don't worry about what... This This is the kind of stuff that drives insane people crazy and crazy people over the edge. Oh, brother. One appropriate... appropriate where do they get these words? A proprietive business is Voodoo Donut, the small donut chain accused of profiting off a religion thought to combine African, Catholic, and Native American traditions. Who cares? And I can hear a lot of you saying, why are you belaboring this? Because it just shows you how how we have... You want to talk about first world problems. We have a saying at home, well, this is a first world problem. Like, where are my car keys? Where's my Bluetooth? Where's my calendar? Where's, where's, where's? That's usually me because I can't remember where I put anything. And my wife is going, oh, God, please. It's in the middle of the table. I can't find my reading glasses. They're on your ball cap. And it's on your head. Oh, thank you. You know, I can't remember half of the stuff. But anyway, it just shows you how far gone people's ability to think in rational terms has has been diluted. And it's just, it shows you again why we need to take our culture back. And part of that culture is to understand how to use your brain. You only get one of them. Some of us even only don't even get a full one. Okay? And it's a struggle because when you've only got a half a brain, you have to work twice as hard. What did John Wayne say? Life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. <laughs> I'm living talking evidence of that. All right. So anyway, that was just, I just saw that and thought this is out. Uh, th- th- this is beyond the pale. This is beyond the pale. Um, the kind of stuff when you call when you look at everything and you say, okay, we've piled everything together in a big heap. What do we got? This is our culture. We got six story rubber duckies. We got people fighting over dreadlocks. We've got people saying you can't cook that because you're not the right color. And we wonder why our culture, why our society's in trouble. You know, every once in a while, the truth can come even from our enemies who say that we are morally bankrupt, corrupt, and lazy. I don't like what they want to do about that, but you know something? There's days I wake up and I think may, they may be right, that we have come so far and we have advanced so far that we have nothing left to worry about. So instead of just enjoying the fruits of our labor and providing for a future for our children, we get caught up in these petty little stupid things that are meaningless, that are absolutely 
just without merit aren't worth if we went back 60 70 100 years ago people would look at you like you got three heads for even raising the topic i just cannot understand this all right i have to take a quick commercial break because i have bills to pay like everybody else so you guys hang on uh, i'll be right back with more after this EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the Greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Welcome back, everybody. Well, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me, folks. I know it's, uh, for those of you on Facebook Live, uh, I appreciate your patience. This is an experiment, and I'm doing my best to make it entertaining for you and uh, give you something to chuckle over over the evening. Uh, I do have, one of my one of my favorite characters is um, Ronald Reagan. Not only was I, do I think he was a fantastic president, he certainly wouldn't would not have put up with a lot of the nonsense that Obama did uh, during his tenure in the White House. But he also had a great ability to deliver a joke. And if I can find, here it is, I'll bet you that's it. This is Ronald Reagan. And again, I have to run through that process, so bear with me. This is Ronald Reagan telling a joke uh, uh, about uh, Democrats. It only runs a minute 40, but (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Okay, so hang on. Stay with me. Stay with me. There was once upon a, a time that to be a Republican in this area of the country felt a little bit by a bit like being Gary Cooper in high noon, out, outnumbered in a big way. But I remember the story of a fellow who was running for office as a Republican and he was in a rural area and it wasn't known to be Republican and he stopped by a farm to do some campaigning and when the farmer heard he was a Republican his jaw dropped and he said wait right here till I go get Ma she's never seen a Republican before (laughs) so he got her and the candidate looked around for a podium from which to give his speech and the only thing he could find was a pile of that stuff that Bess Truman took 35 years trying to get Harry to call fertilizer. (laughs) So he got up on the mound, and when they came back, he gave his speech. And at the end of it, the farmer said, that's the first time I ever heard a Republican speech. 
And the candidate said, that's the first time I've ever given a Republican speech from a Democratic platform. Okay, so there you go. There's, uh, there is <laughs> Ronald Reagan. Oh man, you know that that was that was the brilliance of Ronald Reagan was his ability to communicate in ways that um, uh, how do I put it? He could get over the press. He could find a way to get to the average man in a way that the average man understood. Not that people are, are but he didn't have to talk like he was oh some kind of sophisticated lawyer from Wall Street. He was a normal human being who just happened to be the president. And he had great person, you know, uh, grassroots appeal and was able at the same time to put together coalitions. And, and uh, there's a whole group of people called Republican Democrat, uh, Reagan Democrats. And I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like him and so on. That's true of every president that's ever come down. Uh Anyway, uh, just that's true of every everybody who's ever come down the pike in any kind of leadership form. If you can find me a leader that has a hundred percent backing by a hundred percent of the people, then the guy hasn't actually led anything. He hasn't done anything. As Winston Churchill once said, "You've got enemies. Good. It means you've accomplished something." Because nothing in life comes easy. Nothing comes without controversy. There's always going to be bumps in the road, and uh, that's just the way life is. This whole nonsense, it was what I liked about Bill Whittle's explanation about what uh, socialism was, is the fact that basically what he's saying is life is not fair. No one ever said it was going to be. The only thing you are owed in life is a chance at a fair start. You know, uh, expectation of outcomes is what matters, not uh, our expectation of opportunity is what matters, not expectation of outcome. So it just was um, – that's why I, I, I just – and the fact that the joke was just plain funny. I think there's a lot of truth in that joke, and I thought it was uh, interesting to hear to hear uh, Ronald Reagan put it in such simple terms. Now, there's another little piece. One of my big bones and, and big contentious issues is our taxes and how much we spend in taxes. There's an article out of C, CNS News uh, – the headline says per capita taxes have more than doubled since JFK. And I have no doubt that this is exactly true for, um, what's the word, for Canada as well. Okay. The taxes have at least doubled, if not more, since the Kennedy era. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I read a book. I know I've told a bunch of people. The question is who, and I can't remember. So bear with me if you've heard this before. There is, there is, a Canadian connection to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Not that a Canadian actually shot him. That's not what I'm saying. Or had anything to do with the plot to get him killed. It was just the fact that he had... Uh, there's a a, um, um, a book called... I think it's called Northern Fire. My oldest son is reading it right now. I'm finished with it. But it was the relationship between three men. It was between Kennedy, Pearson, and Diefenbaker. And how that molded the next 30 or 40 years in politics and that relationship. Now, the tie-in with Kennedy was that, with with his assassination, was that a tradition here in Canada is when a foreign, the leader of a foreign country, a foreign dignitary, a president, a prime minister, a monarch, or something like that, comes to visit, they go to Rideau Hall, and they they actually plant a maple tree as a symbol of their friendship with the country. 
Well, Kennedy did that too, but Kennedy was a very ill man. He had uh, was taking all kinds of prescription drugs. He had a really bad back. He, uh, when he wasn't in the public eye, he walked on canes and often wore a back brace. Well, he wasn't feeling too badly until he bent over to put the shovel in the ground to dig the hole for the, you know, to turn the soil so they could plant this little seedling of a maple tree. And he hurt his back. Now, he goes back to Washington and shortly thereafter goes to Dallas. And while he's in Dallas, he's wearing where the, the assassination took place. He's wearing a brace on his back so he can be sitting upright that goes from his hips to his under pit, uh, underarms. And it holds him upright. So when he gets shot the first time, it's a shot that isn't necessarily fatal. Anybody else would have fallen forward and the next couple of shots would have missed. But because he was wearing that back brace, because he hurt his back in Ottawa, he couldn't fall forward and the next shot was fatal. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. If you ever want to know, uh, that has nothing to do with taxes, but I saw Kennedy's picture here and I just had to share that with you. All right, now... According to this article, real federal taxes per capita have more than doubled since JFK served as president and argued for lower taxes. Well, I certainly could go for that. In 1961, the fiscal year Kennedy was elected, the federal government uh, collected about $94.388 billion in taxes, according to the Office of Management and Budget. The population that year was about 184 million people, according to the Census Bureau. That means that federal tax revenue equals about $515 per capita or $4,121 in 2016 money. By 65, the fiscal year Johnson, Lyndon Johnson beat Barry Goldwater. The federal government collected about $116.8 billion in taxes from a population of about $194 million. That year, federal tax taxes equaled 601 per capita or 4578 in today's dollars. In fiscal 2016, according to the OMB, the federal government collected about $3.26 trillion. That equaled about $10,000 for each of the 323 million people in the country. Per capita federal, federal taxation in fiscal 2016 was 120% 121% more than it was in 65 and 145% more than it was in 61. And I have no doubt at all that those numbers are probably low when you translate them into Canadian numbers and our tax rates because everybody knows we pay more taxes than the government does. So is it any wonder then that the Canadian economy, you know what, it is a wonder that the Canadian economy still manages to expand. Now, mind you, it's only expanding, I think the last number was somewhere under just 3%. So what that means in real terms is that businesses are growing at about 3% a year. Now, bring back Kathleen Wynne's $15 and come full circle. That over 18 months is a 30% increase in one of the biggest costs a business has to shoulder, and that is the cost of labor. And you don't think that's going to have an impact? There are people out there, and I was arguing with them tonight on Facebook. They don't think, oh, that's not going to hurt anybody. What are you talking about? You're nuts. You're, you're nuts. You're crazy. No, 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 no. This is going to be, this is really going to hurt. And it's, again, it's going to speed up automation. And if it can't speed up automation, it's going to drive businesses out of the country. They're just going to be looking for the United States or someplace that isn't, well, probably the United States. Because especially with them pulling out of the, see how this is all woven together? 
they're pulling out of the Paris Accord, so now they don't have to worry about imposing a carbon tax on, on the U.S. economy. So that makes us that much less competitive. Now you've got Kathleen Wynne on top of a carbon tax being imposed by Justin Trudeau, which is coming in the near future. You have Kathleen Wynne and her, and her runaway debt and her green energy plan, and now $15 an hour on top of that. You've got all these things working against the economy. It's a miracle the economy survives at all. You know, we're not really all that far removed for what's going on down in Venezuela. That's socialism at, at its worst, by the way. It's a disaster down there. Now, I don't want to see the country descend into that. I certainly am no, I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow. But how long do you have to walk down a certain path before you reach the destination at the other end? Where do you say, okay, wait a minute now. Here we go. We're going to have... Um, we're going to have the government run everything. Nobody has anything left of their own. It's, it's, that's why socialism is one small step away from communism, because you really, in socialism, the government runs everything, and in communism, the government owns everything. And that's what's so disheartening about it, is the fact that unless something dramatic changes. Now, a lot of people will say that we got to vote for Patrick Brown. And I've been meaning to get to this all night. So we might as well dive into it now. There's only about 20 minutes left in the show. God love him. Lowell Green and I, we've, we've had a little bit of a, a thing going on back and forth on Facebook. And I have the deepest respect for one of the, or, you know, uh, you want to talk about somebody who's at the Order of Canada. Given his accomplishments over his long and glorious career, it's because of him we have a boys club and a girls club in, in um, uh, Ottawa. We have the Eternal Flame. Uh, Lowell, had, you should look up a list of his accomplishments. It's not short. Okay, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for the man. But what I can't figure out is why he doesn't seem to understand, and a lot of people agree with him, that voting for Patrick Brown is no different than voting for Kathleen Wynne. Everybody says, there's a lot of people out there say, oh my God, we cannot have any more Kathleen Wynne. And I agree with him. Wholeheartedly, I agree with him. I really do. But you got to ask yourself, at what point do you say, wait a minute, what's the difference? Both of them support a carbon tax. Both of them want the sex ed curriculum unchanged. In other words, the one that was written by uh, a pedophile, you see, if it was me, when that, when that whole thing happened, again, I'm never going to be premier and I'm under no illusions otherwise. Um. But if I was the premier and my minister of education or the deputy of the minister of education, who is the architect for the curriculum that the schools are uh, you know, subjected to, if I find out they're a pedophile, we start all over again. First, I distance myself from the pedophile and say, look, I didn't know. And if I had no, if I had no, if I had known, I would have fired him on the spot. There would be no, there's no room or place for pedophilia in my government. No way, no how, nowhere, never. Okay, that's just not acceptable. And then we rewrite the whole curriculum, removing every stain he ever left on it. Did they do that? No. Has Patrick Brown said that he's going to do that? No. Has he even mentioned it? No. As a matter of fact, he slapped down uh, Monty McNaughton when Monty McNaughton was trying to make an issue out of it. Told him to shut up. 
On top of that, you've got the same. He, he, uh, Patrick Brown supports a carbon tax. He has he, he rails about high high energy prices, but he's never even hinted at what he would do. As a matter of fact, he is on record on our local radio station here as saying that under his management, energy prices would not go down. So, tell me, please, what is the difference between Patrick Brown and Kathleen Wynne? What's the difference? Because changing the color of the flag, if you don't, it's, it's, it's like if you're driving a BMW and somebody says, here, I want to take over. I got a better car for you. You drive this one instead. And it's a BMW too, but it's got a Cadillac sticker on the back. Is it a Cadillac or is it a BMW? It's a BMW. You don't get it, you can't just change the color of the paint and expect people to believe you that it's different. It's only different in a very superficial way. So when you try to explain this and this is where part of the reason why I went into this whole thing about logic and common sense and reason versus emotion. We're in the conservative circles we're fighting a emotion amongst ourselves because people hate this government with such deep passion they are blind to the fact that the government they that they, they say well just hold your nose and vote for patrick we'll fix it later no that won't work and here's why it won't work it won't work for this reason patrick brown has used some pretty nefarious methods to control who becomes candidates everything from ballot box stuffing to um you know changing the rules disqualifying people a day or two before a, a, a um Nomination meeting, these kinds of things where they take the money and, the don and everything that's raised by the candidate and then the last minute disqualify them without refunding the money. That's called fraud from where I come from. But anyway, I digress. I even have an open letter on my Facebook page, which is too long to read, but it's from Alan Cutler. You should go there and read what Alan has to say. Now, I don't know many people would even try, even try to, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Look, nobody's going to argue with the integrity of Alan Cutler. I mean, he's the guy that blew the whistle on ad scam. For those of you old enough to remember that, that was a big deal. And this is the same thing. Here, here it is here. Let me just read to you the first. Uh, I'll give it a paragraph or so, just give you a sense. But you can you can uh, certainly um, uh, read the whole thing as posted, like I said, on my Facebook page. But here's at least some of it. Uh, I'm a member of the Conservative Party, both at the federal and provincial level, and have been for 10 years. As a result of the sponsorship scandal, I received a national reputation as the whistleblower who tried to prevent the federal corruption. Uh, consequently, federal who tried to prevent federal corruption. Consequently, in 2006, the opposition leader, Stephen Harper, convinced me to represent the conservative values of honesty, integrity, and accountability by running in the federal election. Since then, the battle against corruption has occupied much of my time. Canadians for Accountability was created to help whistleblowers about eight years ago. In cooperation with the University of Ottawa, an annual anti-corruption presentation symposium has also been established. Last February 1, 2016, after several months of trying, to, uh, of trying, an opportunity to meet with Patrick Brown has presented itself. And he goes on to list what, he, what the whole, all the problems were in the riding that he was a scrutineer in uh, when his the the candidate he was trying to help 
there was ballot box stuffing and all kinds of nonsense that was going on. Now, if it was a one-off, okay, if this was just an isolated incident, it would still require a rerun of this nomination in order to make sure it's done fairly. Now, we all love hockey, at least the vast majority of us do. We've all seen the referee uh, wave off a, a, a face-off. I didn't drop the puck fairly. And they'll take the puck back, and they'll set themselves up again, and away they'll go. If we'll do that in hockey, why won't we do it when it really matters? When we're trying to choose who's going to represent us down at Queen's Park. If it's not done fairly, you've got to do it again. But no, they don't want to. Now, anyway, I could go on about that, but the bottom line here is that when you look at Patrick Brown, the way that he's handling his party, he has some serious problems both within, from within his own party and people on the outside um, who are going to be chipping away at his support. And you know something? He deserves it. He deserves what ha- what's going to happen. Because he had a chance. He's in the middle of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory again. But here's what happens if he wins. It's bad enough if Kathleen Wynne wins. There's no doubt about that. There is, it's, it, that's a terrible price to pay. Because this government is the worst we've ever had in our history in North America. Okay, It's the most corrupt. It's the most disingenuous. It's the most callous and cold and calculating all the bad things about government are summed up under the Kathleen Wynne liberals. But if Patrick Brown wins, it's worse. And here's why. Because of things like this, when you read this open letter, he will turn to the people who are saying we have to change this and say, no, this is how we won, and this is how we're going to do it from now on. I'll pick the candidates in the key writings and drop them in wherever I think they're necessary because that's what worked the last time, and it will kill democracy for at least a couple of generations because he can say, huh, I was right, we won, because too many people are forgetting that victory won this way is no victory at all. A win like that, like Lowell would say, well, we got to take one for the team. We got to we got to make the sacrifices. Look, some sacrifices are not worth making. Not for this. Not for this. We don't need uh, a, another liberal government wearing a blue tie. We're trying to change this, not institutionalize it. So, if you're one of those people out there who who hates Kathleen Wynne and her government. And I mean politically now. You and I are on the same page. But replacing her with a clone is not a good idea. It doesn't get us any further ahead. Because what's important? What really matters here? Just changing the flag or changing the ideology that reigns under it? We have to get back to merit. We have to get back to getting out of business's way. We have to get back to things like parental rights. We have to get back to a time when the government concerns itself with getting out of your daily life and allowing you to succeed or fail based on your own strengths and weaknesses. That's what we have to get back to. We have to get back to a time when we feel comfortable criticizing our government when they do things wrong. Not afraid that the not afraid that the Human Rights Commission is going to come down on us like a mosquito on a sledgehammer or a sledgehammer on a mosquito that's sitting on an anvil. 
Okay, It's an ugly picture. Those are the things that matter. Let me take one more quick break. We'll come back and wrap the show up right after this. Renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion, 34 Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you, that'll make him smile. All right, final segment straight ahead, folks. Thanks for staying with me tonight. I know it's been a bit of a haul on uh, Facebook Live. Uh, somebody's saying that I should be. Who is it? Uh, let me go back here a little bit. Somebody made a good comment. I wanted to mention. Um, oh, where did it go? They wanted me to play some some music or a short video or something like that over uh, the Facebook page while I'm playing commercials and so on. I'll, I'm going to work on that. I think I can do that through. Um, um, to Spotify. So I'll work on that and see if I can get something like that figured out for next week. I knew that this was going to be, um, going to be the way it went tonight because they're, um, uh, just the way that, um, you know, it's, it's a learning curve for me. So I'm going to try to, and cause I want it to be as pleasant as possible for you. Uh, so that, you know, you continue to listen and pay attention and hopefully bring friends with you when you come next time. I feel like, you know, it's it's funny. I I kind of feel like the friendly giant. How many people are out there are old enough to remember probably one of the best kids shows? I mean, I could really relate to. The, oh, look at all! The, <laughs> I'd never noticed before all the likes across the screen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're all a bunch of old fogies. Uh, but the friendly giant was one of the warmest, most comfortable TV shows. I think I ever saw with rusty, the rooster, Jerome, the giraffe. Was there another puppet he had? Was it the owl or am I mixing him up with Mr. Dress up, which was another great show. You know something, there was a time and I didn't even mean to get into this, but now that I got talking about it, um, when CBC, 
had some of the best children's television anywhere. If you look at it, they had Mr. Dressup, Casey and Finnegan, and the Tickle Trunk, right? I remember watching that when I was a little tiny tyke. That was like, I don't know, during the play, uh, play or Jurassic era or whatever. But the point is it was uh, it was it was anemic. It, not anemic, but it was harmless. It was simply, um, and I can't. I used to know the guy's name who played Mr. Dressup, but Mr. Dressup had a very gentle, um, kind of uncle-y feeling. Like you felt just comfortable in his presence, whether he was sitting in front of the TV or anything like that. When you saw the show, and uh, you know, it was just, I really enjoyed it. Another one was uh, Mr. Kangaroo, Captain Kangaroo. Remember the ping pong balls? Just all of a sudden, boom, 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 out of nowhere would come these millions of ping pong balls. Every time he did or said something, it wasn't exactly right. Mr. Green Jeans was on that show, I think. But there hasn't been much to replace it since then. When when And I'm sure he's passed on by now. But uh, the, the guy that used to be uh, the Jolly Green, the, the friendly giant, remember that big hand? He would reach down and he said, we'd have the rocket chair for you by the fire. And in the beginning of the show, the drawbridge would come down. And it's just such a warm, inviting thing. And these are part of our culture that I would love to. And now that I think about it, I'm going to do my best to introduce my grandchildren to, maybe even some of my younger kids, uh, because it was such a rich part of growing up. It was it was something that uh, you could put, the parents could put their kids in front of it and not have to worry about sub- subliminal messages or environmental Nazism creeping into it or that kind of stuff. Oh, no video. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm having some suggestions that there's no video. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. Let me see if I can bring this back. Hang on. Uh, click on that. No, no. Options. Uh, edit, embed, get a link, delete. No. I'm working on this. I'll see. Can you can you still hear it? Um, That's the big question. Let me go here. And uh, all right, I'm going to shut that down. And I'm sorry I'm talking talking out loud here while I'm doing this because uh, I, I want to try to get this right. Is it? Uh, see, I see a bunch of thumbs up and, and happy faces. That either means I need to shut it down, restart it, or it's working. Uh, somebody post in the comments whether or not you can see the video or are you just responding to the idea of restarting it. Uh, do, do, do. Anyway, it'll take a few seconds to get to you. So, but I, I guess you know there's another show, and it's, it, it wasn't for everybody. Well, actually, it kind of was. It was really kind of harmless, and that was the Possum Lodge and the Red Green Show. Uh boy, that was a lot of fun. Uh, one of I think one of my favorite episodes on the Red Green Show was was it Howard or Harold the the goofball the geek the um, Kara's name. Howard or Harold. He came in and it was in the wintertime. And Possum Lake was froze over. And uh Red walked over to him and say, and in that gravelly voice said say, How cold is it outside? And Harold said, Sixty degrees below. He said, Fahrenheit or Celsius. Who cares? <laughs> They used to get contributions from the, from the listeners um, who would uh, 
suggest different things they could make out of out of duct tape. And man, I'm telling you, 3M must have just made a killing on sales of duct tape after they had the red green show on because it was an absolute riot. I mean, they once made a boat out of pop bottles, all held together by tape, duct tape, but almost like a cabin cruiser. And then you have, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things they did. Uh, somebody sent in a suggestion that you buy like a 1985 Chevy Chevette and you would tape gloves to the back of it so that your hands wouldn't freeze when you had to push it <laughs> because it died. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who had a 1974 Chevy Vega. Um, and it was, oh my God, it was a horrible little car, but <laughs> that's how we got to work. And I remember him getting a speeding ticket and which was absolutely hilarious. Cause I think top speed was like, I don't know, 64 and a half miles an hour downhill with a good tailwind. And yet <laughs> this cop, and this is down in Southern Ontario where it's as flat as a board and it's wide open. So the cop must've been sitting over a concession or two and seen him going by and just decided he was going to give this kid a hard time. I wrote him a speeding ticket. I think it was like for 10 or 15 bucks or whatever it was. This goes back into the 1970s, but man, oh man. <laughs> yes, I did keep pushing Brad trust. I'm getting a question. Yes, I did. Um, uh, because of course, um, I'm the guy that uh, I like the social issues. That's different. I, I didn't, I never endorsed him. Well, maybe I broke my own rule. You know what? Um, who was it that asked me that question? Uh, lost it. No, it was there a second ago. Uh, do, do, do. Somebody asked me that question. Whoever asked me that question, I think I broke my own rule in that case. And I, I will firmly reprimand myself for that later. Um, anyway, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Looking at the clock. Oh, guess what? I babbled my way through another show. Uh, folks, for those of you on Facebook Live, thank you very much for putting up with some of the, the little glitches. I'm going to work on trying to iron out as many of them as I can for next year, next week. I think I can do something about the music and bumper stuff uh, with Spotify because I have that right here on my laptop. So it'll be a little bit different than the music that people online here. Uh, but I think with a little bit of help and a, a little bit of grease and a big shoehorn, and if it don't hair lip the premier, which would be an improvement, actually, uh, we'll see what we can work out that way. So with that said, I'm going to sign off for this evening. Thank you all for participating. It's been a lot of fun. I'm, re You know what? I'm starting to like this Facebook thing. I really am. It was a lot of fun, and uh, the instant feedback. It's not phone calls, but at least I get the idea when you guys are on the same page uh, with what I'm talking about. You know, it's it's about as close to a phone call as you can get without actually making a phone call. And for those of you online, you can always make phone calls. Uh, by all means, uh, please keep listening. It's going to be, uh, um, I'm going to try to make it as entertaining as I can for everybody. With that said, let me all wish you good night. Ubiqueritas et amor. They are CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. All the money that I spent it in good company And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit to men
So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. But since it fell into my lot that I should rise and you should not, I'll gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Fail to me the parting glass and drink a Yeah.